Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. I am Aaron Downs, and I am all by myself on this episode of our church podcast. Matthew Wiedemann had some things going on. AJ Molnix is sick this week. I was out of town this week, so we just could not coordinate a time to get together to talk about our Bible reading for week 47, days 323 through 329. So I'm recording this on Saturday, trying to fill in the gaps as we make it through our year of Bible reading. It is an incredibly cold winter day out today. I took the dog for a walk, and the wind was just blowing directly in my face for most of the time. It was miserable. Um, I put on so many layers of clothing that my body was overheating and my face was freezing. So I'm going to need to figure that out if I'm going to make it through this winter. This past week, I was a little bit busier than normal. On Monday night, I led a class at Bethlehem College where I talked about the atonement, and then I flew out Tuesday morning to Denver, Colorado, where I attended the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, Brian Vlazowski, pastor of Richfield Bible Church, went as well, so we were able to be on the same flights together. It was nice to spend some time with him to hear a little bit more about what's going on at Richfield. It was my first time ever at a academic conference like this. So there were some really interesting things. I really enjoyed it. There was also a lot of standing around and milling around, these sorts of things. And I just was not nearly as productive as I thought I would be. I thought I'd be able to squeeze uh, work in throughout the day, and that just did not happen. So it was a good time. I'm really glad I went. I think I'll go again in the future. But Uh, It took way more time out of my schedule than I thought it would. But I was able to reconnect with some friends, was able to meet some new and interesting people, and I got to hear some interesting papers that were presented as well. So it was a good time overall, but I'm glad to be back in Minnesota. By Thursday morning, I was conferenced out, I was exhausted, and I was ready to get home. And then my flight kept getting delayed over and over so I did not make it home until Friday around 1.15 in the morning. And Kate was kind enough to pick Brian and me up from the airport. And then I slept in and did not get much done on Friday. So today, Saturday, has been a little bit of a work day, um, including recording this Bible reading podcast. Before we go further, I want to remind you that we have on December 16th, our Lord of the Rings in the Hope of Christmas outreach. So we are looking forward to talking about Lord of the Rings and Christmas. You might not think that these things go together, especially since there are no Christian holidays that are referenced directly in Lord of the Rings, but you might be surprised how relevant Lord of the Rings is to Christmas themes. So if you are interested, you can find out more information at our church website and in the coming week, I think we'll have an Eventbrite page up where you can register and and maybe a couple other pieces of information. Uh, we will certainly have some trivia and some prizes, so it'll be a good time. I, I think you will enjoy it if you have any interest in Lord of the Rings and if you have any interest in Christmas.
Well, our Old Testament reading for this week is Ezekiel 18 through 29. These were some really interesting chapters where the Lord, again, continues to speak to Israel to warn them of judgment, but also to promise them life. And then by the end of it, there are some oracles against the nations that resembled the oracles in Jeremiah. In chapter 18, the whole theme is personal responsibility for sin. So throughout this text, God is essentially saying that individuals will be responsible for their own sin. So children will not pay for the sins of their parents, and parents won't pay for the sins of their children. Instead, individuals will live or die according to the way that they live. So if there's a righteous person who does what is just and right, this person will live. They'll certainly live. If someone is unrighteous and and does what is wrong, he will not live. Now, if someone is righteous for a time, and then they become unrighteous and wicked, then they will die. But if there's a wicked person who turns from his sins and becomes righteous, then that person will live because God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked or in the death of anybody. So you might say that the Lord's way isn't fair, but the Lord responds, your ways are unfair. So he, he is saying that it is fair and right when a wicked person churns from their sin and lives righteously for them to be able to persevere in life. That's the way of the Lord. So he ends, I'll judge each of you according to your ways. And this is the call. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts so they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God, so repent and live. And of course, there are echoes of other texts of Scripture that show up in here. Most importantly, Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy, where he sets death and life before the people of Israel, and he calls them to choose life. This is what the Lord is doing once again. Now, I think that some of this language appears in Romans as well, where life is promised to the righteous person, where uh, there's a question about whether God is faithful and fair. So these themes are picked up in other portions of Scripture as well. But the main point is that each individual has to take responsibility for their own actions and faithfulness to the Lord. And those who live faithfully before the Lord, those who pursue righteousness, will live and those who pursue unfaithfulness and unrighteousness or injustice, these individuals will not live before the Lord. As we move into chapter 19, there's a lament for Israel's princes because they are not choosing life. And then in chapter 20, it continues in a really sad sort of way as Israel's rebellion is described over and over again. I want to point out that the Profaning of the Sabbath is especially important because the Sabbath was a covenant sign. So if you think of the Noahic covenant in the rainbow was that covenant sign where God would remember his covenant with with Noah and the whole earth, the Sabbath was a covenant sign that would cause Israel to remember their covenant with God. So 
even though we aren't Sabbatarians, um, we don't celebrate the Sabbath in the way that they did. We understand why it's such a big deal for them to violate the Sabbath. For Israel to violate the Sabbath, Sabbath was for them to fail to remember God. And often this Sabbath violating or this profaning of the Sabbath wasn't an isolated thing, but it was in connection with worshiping idols and all these other acts of covenant unfaithfulness. Uh, But this is especially called out because this day was supposed to be a sign that would call Israel to remember their covenant with the Lord. And then in chapter 21, there's the description of God's sword of judgment as he's going to satisfy his wrath, not only on Israel, but also on the nations. This continues through chapter 22. And then in 23, we have another really graphic chapter where Samaria and Jerusalem are both depicted as prostitutes who are unfaithful. And the Lord is essentially saying, Jerusalem, Samaria, Israel, you are acting as a sexually permissive individual. You're, you are an adulteress. You are not maintaining your covenant faithfulness with God. In chapter 24, there's another parable, this one of the boiling pot, where uh, the city is going to be purified through the boiling of this water as it uh, removes the corrosion of unpure, impure Israel. At the end of that chapter, though, we get to one of the saddest portions in all of Ezekiel. There's going to be a sign of God's judgment that will affect Ezekiel very, very personally. The word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and essentially says, Ezekiel, your wife is the delight of your eyes, and she will be taken away from you with a fatal blow but you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. And and this would be a sign to Israel because just as Ezekiel's wife was the delight of his eyes, so too was Jerusalem and the temple the delight of Israel's eyes, we might say. They, They probably had this idea that as long as the temple was up and functioning, that they were impervious to any assault from the outside. They would not be able to be defeated by anybody. So they, this was their sanctuary, the pride of their power, the delight of their eyes, the desire of their hearts, and the Lord is going to take it away. And, and the sign that this would happen would be that Ezekiel's wife would be taken away through death. And, and this is exactly what happens. And, and then it seems that the Lord is going to make Ezekiel mute. And then at the appointed time, he would open his mouth and he'd no longer be mute. And then he would speak to them words of judgment. Then, as I already mentioned, as we get into the last chapters for our reading, chapter 25 and following, we get into the oracles of judgment against the nation or these prophecies of judgment against these nations, against Ammon and Moab and Edom and Philistia and Tyre. In chapter 26 and 27 is the longest uh, word of judgment, and that is against Tyre. And that actually goes all the way through chapter 28. And there, 
people often will look at these texts and identify the language as the fall of Satan or something like that. So, so people will read this description of the downfall of Tyre as the downfall of Satan. In some of the language, you know, you can see why people would say that. But the problem with identifying this as the the downfall of Satan is that it's actually addressed to a king of a particular place. So this is actually for the king of Tyre. It's not retroactively talking about Satan. So even though sometimes people will turn to Ezekiel 28, like verse uh, 11, you know, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, you know, covered with all of these precious stones. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. And, and eventually, you know, there's this casting down of the king of Tyre. And you can see why some of the language sounds like it could be talking about the serpent in the garden or or this angel who became Satan or something like that. But that really detracts from the historical reality of this prophecy. And and it's followed up then with the prophecy of Egypt's ruin. So all of these other countries and all of these other words of judgment and downfall are directed to historical places. So I don't think that we should turn Ezekiel 26 through 28 into a description of Satan in heaven or something like that. Instead, as a lot of translations will emphasize through the way that the the typeset of the, the Bible, this is very poetic. It's a poetic, prophetic description, and um, we need to understand it as a historical reality, not as a depiction of Satan. Well, we'll continue. I believe that we're finishing up Ezekiel either next week or the week after. We're getting close to the end of of this book, and then we'll get into Daniel, which has some easy portions, but then it is almost as difficult, maybe even more so, as we get into the later portions of Daniel. Our New Testament reading is from the letter of James. For those who are members of our church, you will know that we just finished going through James. I forget how many sermons we had, 17 or 18 or something like that. Uh, It's a really short letter, but it is remarkably relevant for the life of the church. And I tried to bring that out in the sermons that I preached. Sometimes people read James like it's a book of Proverbs in the New Testament or something where we might grab onto a line here or a line there, but a lot of things we could kind of take or leave or something like that, or or even suggest that the letter is not really that connected at all, that there are just different topics that are hit throughout and they don't really have any organic connection together. And I try to show in each of the sermons that that's not the case, that the letter actually coheres really, really well. And I tried to show that there are a lot of reference 
references to Jesus's teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. So in the very final sermon, I, I think if I redid it, I would have had some other readers involved in it. But in the very final sermon, I kind of talked through every section of James. And then I talked about some connections between James and the Sermon on the Mount. And then I read Matthew 5 through 7 and then read the letter of James. So I, I would encourage you, if you want to hear through the letter of James section by section, you could just look at that final sermon where I summarized every sermon in about one paragraph. So if you just listen to that first section, then you'll be able to get a good walk through this letter written by James to these 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. So they're, they're not living in Israel or Palestine, certainly not in Jerusalem. And he is writing not to one church individual individually. He's, he's not addressing specific issues that have shown up in one church. Instead, he's writing a letter that informs churches outside of Jerusalem how to be authentically Christian, how to have their communities shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ. So I would just point you to those that sermon, that final one in particular, and I, I hope it will be helpful in explaining the main uh, ideas in each section of James's letter. Well, we have only five weeks remaining in this Bible reading plan, so we would just encourage you to keep it up, keep on reading, and we'll get through the Bible by the end of the year. We're looking forward to next year on the Church Podcast. There are a lot of exciting things, I think anyway, that are coming up. And uh, we'll have some interviews with some individuals that I'm excited about. I I think I'm going to uh, be giving some regular episodes, talking through the Book of Romans, talking through the Lord of the Rings, I think. I'm still trying to figure out what, what all of that will look like. But we definitely have a few interviews that I'm excited about that will hopefully be happening soon. And um, some other conversations about a few books that I'm really thankful for and really interested in, and that I think will be profitable for those who listen to this podcast. For me, I'm going to be wrapping up the rest of the day working on a Bible class lesson for tomorrow on the gospel. I'm really excited about this Bible class we're having for the next few weeks on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, where we are going to consider what the gospel is and what it means for us today. We thank you for joining us for this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us online at resurrectionmn.org, or you can always drop in and say hello any Sunday of the week.